Oh, nice. nice. I saw a couple of your pictures on Instagram. You got your little baby there, your husband with you and stuff like that. Is that right? Yeah. I'm here awesome. till June. Oh, wow. That's that's a pretty good trip. Nice. Yeah, what island are, a, what island are you on? Maui. Oh, nice. That's the only one I haven't been to. I'm, well, I've been to... Of the, you know, I've been to the tiny ones like Molokai and that stuff, but I've been to Oahu and Kauai, not Kauai and, and the Big Island. I haven't been to, to Maui yet. Yeah, it's wonderful here. So how and long I, do you... No, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go, oh, no, well, I, gonna... I had the like longest winter in Canada where there was absolutely no sun. for like It was raining ice at the end of April, so it's been a nice change. And you're from, is it like Toronto? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I've been to, I've been to Toronto once, and I remember most of what I did was underground because it was in the winter. So <laughs> it's got, yeah. Toronto's got this huge underground city. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Hey, uh, so do you have like about an hour? Is that okay? Yep, that sounds good. Perfect. Try to get well, you Zach, back on the beach sooner rather than later. <laughs> no kidding. God, I'm jealous. I wish I was in Hawaii now. Hey, Zach, do you want to just uh, start recording, and we'll just kind of yeah. we'll just kind of freeform and kind of a little bit of, you know, just kind of uh, – Put in some of the, the, the silliness and, and go from there. We just got off with Ben Bickman, who is, you know, I don't know if you're interested, but he's, he was really, really good guy. Some interesting science around this low-carb stuff. It's, I think it was pretty cool. So oh, that's good. To, to hearing your conversation. I know there's a lot of people that ask me, when, when is Michaela coming on? We're super excited. So <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. Cool. Are we Zach, are we ready to go? We're ready. We're rolling. All right. So, hey, guys, this is what, – what number are we on, Jack? This is number 14? This will be 14, yeah. HBO number 14. Thanks for coming. We've got special guest today, Michaela Peterson. Michaela is here direct all the way from Hawaii. She's taking time out of her vacation to spend time with us. And I, I maybe she's half crazy. I don't know how to do that. But I, we were so happy to have her on. Thanks for coming on, Michaela. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Hey, Zach, so I think what, you know, uh, there's there's a lot of different topics, but I know one of the things, Michaela, that you've kind of, you know, it's, it seems like you and I have been linked in a few articles, you know, based on, on our crazy diet that we're doing. And, you know, obviously, you know, with your dad rising to, to prominence with things that are, you know, a lot of people are, you know, there's there's a lot of controversy and, you know, and the diet we're on is controversial. So you're probably getting a double whammy of some of that stuff i don't know how much of the stuff that you know that, that your dad gets you know a lot of the a lot of the people that don't that disagree with him if it trickles into your life much or are you isolated from that are you are you get are you finding yourself in a little bit of a uh a, sort of a, a a hurricane of controversy right now or are things going pretty good for you or is that why you're hiding out in hawaii <laughs> <laughs> um things are actually going really well like the number i was worried i started on um, my blog like right before dad really started getting fame and I was worried even that the elimination diet I put forth was going to get some like negative I don't know just negative responses and I haven't really had anything negative I've had like not directed at me I've had a couple of emails but like what, I don't know three maybe that have been negative everything has been overwhelmingly positive and I think that's because there's not much arguing with my response to the diet Mm -hmm. so even if people say well i don't believe it works they can't really say well it didn't work for you yeah i mean and i think that's the the one message i want i i try to get out to people you know you got to figure out what works for you and results are the results and you can't really tell somebody that the results particularly when they're as dramatic as what has happened to you and let's just kind of review for the people that don't know your story just a little bit i know because you had correct me if i'm wrong but juvenile rheumatoid arthritis 
Uh, and that all that ended up with you having uh, an ankle replacement and a hip replacement at very young ages. And, you know, as you know, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I've replaced a lot of hips. I've never done any ankle replacements just because, you know, they're, they just don't happen as commonly. And, and, and I think you mentioned that you're going to have to have that revised pretty soon. And one of the problems with ankle replacements is it is, you know, the design is probably not as good as we, as we have for the hips and the knees and the longevity. So that's interesting, but talk a little bit about your, uh, you know, just having some of that stuff growing up. And, and here's, here's the thing I, I want to know, because um, I kind of know what you probably were told, but I'd like to hear from you. What did they tell you when you like, why is this happening to me? What were you told? You know, did they say, oh, it's just bad luck or genetics or we don't know or, you know, it, 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 and so many people, that, that's the answer. Well, you know, luck of the draw, genetics, we don't know, the, the, the way where the wind was blowing. L- let me hear your, your take on what happened to you. Um. Well, I was so young, so I was diagnosed when I was with with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis when I was seven. So when, like, as a kid, I don't even remember questioning why I had it. I just had it. I didn't think, why me? I think that's something you probably start doing when you're older, when things seem unfair. And it didn't seem unfair. It was just like, that's what's going on in your life. Um, so I didn't get much, why, <laughs> why is this happening to me? I think the response my parents got to why is this happening to our child was we don't know. Um, it wasn't genetic. It was just we don't know. Um, and my mom tried to bring up food once when I was like right when I got diagnosed. So when I was seven or eight, um, I had a huge flare up from oranges and nobody believed my mom, but I'd eaten like a box of clementines and then my big toe got so swollen that I like, couldn't walk. And one of my mom's friends suggested cutting out anything new I had started eating. And she cut out the clementines and my swelling went away. And then every time I had oranges, it came back. And so by the time we got to the doctor, my swelling had subsided. And she said, I think oranges, you know, gave Michaela a flare. And she literally got laughed at. Um, And then because there was no scientific articles, and my family's very science-based, there were no scientific articles linking diet, to um to arthritis you know that's something and and that's that's very um you know kind of interesting because when i was practicing orthopedics full-time i would get patients that would come in and they would tell me you know gluten made their knees hurt and i would kind of routinely out hand kind of just kind of dismiss that and kind of say okay you're kind of that was me yeah, I mean, I, I I was thinking because I don't know, I don't, I've not received any training on this. I've never seen anything in the literature saying gluten gluten causes arthritis, so I would just kind of kind of think of those patients as you know they're they're a little bit on the loony side, but let's just do what we're going to do and take care of and do the best we can. But just realizing that they're kind of crazy. But now, having gone through all this stuff myself and seen so many people where this has happened to, I, I'm convinced that there are a number of things in our diet that, that contribute to things like arthritis. And the fact that people say, I don't know what happens just means they never thought in a million years that it could have been something in the food. And I, I think we're finding out uh, very dramatically, you know, in, in your case and many others, that definitely there's things in the food that do that. And, and you're not alone with, with, with people to say, I have huge flare-ups when I eat whatever, this food or that food. And it doesn't matter if it's considered a quote-unquote healthy food or something, you know, we know is like a Twinkie. You know, I think different foods have different things in them that some people react negatively to. And I think we're kind of finding that out. But you you, you tried a couple of different 
different styles of dieting until you, you kind of progress where you are now. And as my understanding is, you're doing basically a, you know, a, a carnivorous or meat-only diet, and I believe your dad and your mother are too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and my husband. Um, I, I started with, so I, I had no idea about nutrition at all or about low-carb or keto or anything. I just cut out everything I thought might possibly be irritating, and I ended up with like this at the very beginning, rice, like sweet potatoes and meat and green green vegetables. And I figured all those things had to be safe. And it turns out that the rice wasn't safe, but I didn't know what I was doing. Anyway, I managed before the pregnancy to get myself to zero symptoms. And I was doing really well with a very restricted like version of a keto diet. Um, and I think if I hadn't gotten pregnant, then I would have been okay on that. But I got pregnant, something changed, and I completely lost my ability to tolerate any carb. Um, so I switched. Oh, yeah. So then I saw you on Joe Rogan. And this was about a month. This was like three months after I was like, well, I know I can eat steak, but I'm breastfeeding and I don't want to cut out the vegetables um, if it's going to negatively affect my daughter. Um and I also don't want to die of scurvy because I also I didn't know anything about anything. Um, and I saw you on Joe Rogan and I read something else online and you'd said you were you had survived off of just eating meat and you were fine. And I thought, OK, if it doesn't kill you, I'm going to do it because I'm obviously reacting to what I'm eating other than the meat. Um, and then, yeah, my arthritis calmed down and my anxiety lessened and everything got better. And then my dad, who had actually never gotten better on the low, like, like extremely restricted diet I had put forth. It had, it had solved all my problems, but it hadn't solved all his problems. Um, it took a while to convince him to go all meat because while well, he's attached to his food, he was only eating meat and salad and it's still, his anxiety wasn't under control, especially in the mornings. Um, but my mom went on it and arthritis, arthritis went away, like right away. She hadn't been able to get her arthritis under control with the first elimination diet. Um, so she went on it. And then eventually I told dad, like, you're either going to keep living with this anxiety in the morning. You might as well just give the meat a try. It's not worth a salad anyway. He was just down to like three other foods. It didn't even matter. It's not like he was getting rid of cake or something. Um, <laughs> and he went on it and his anxiety started lifting in like two days, which was crazy. I wasn't even expecting it to happen that fast. Yeah, I mean, it, and it is kind of interesting because, you know, when you, 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 we kind of cling to these vegetables because we just think there's something magical in them that we have to have. And they're like, they don't even taste that good. If I was going to cheat, I'd rather have, you know, chocolate cake or something like that, <laughs> something that actually tastes good. And so that's, that's pretty interesting. You know, the, you know, I mean, going back to your arthritis as a kid, I mean, you had your joints replaced. And so I would imagine, now, was that due to instability from destruction of the joints or was it just really bad pain that you were having? I mean, how bad was it before oh, you had it was your joints? Yeah. It was bad. Like, it, so my rheumatologist who had been, um, what I guess practicing at sick kids in Toronto for like 25 years had never seen anybody with arthritis as bad as my arthritis. Um, dad keeps calling me. That's what's going on. <laughs> if there's like a mess up here anyway. <laughs> so, um, I ended up with what they thought was necrotic tissue around my hip. It turned out it wasn't, but I had no cartilage left and the bone was starting to deteriorate. Um, and that all happened like September 2008. I was told by the time I was 30, I was going to have a hip replacement. 
And by February, I needed a hip replacement right then. So it deteriorated really quickly. And then my ankle deteriorated just right after my hip. So it started hurting January 2009. And then by, you know, June, so right after I was recovering from the hip replacement, I had no cartilage left in my ankle. And that was a way bigger problem than a hip replacement because, like you said, hip replacements hip replacements are really well done and they're actually fairly easy compared to an ankle replacement. So it was I had extremely aggressive arthritis uh, in almost all my joints except for my spine, um, and it hadn't hit any you know my eyes or any organs. But I'm sure it was going to kill me like pretty quickly, and it was just deteriorating everything. It started getting my skin. I guess that wasn't arthritis, but whatever this autoimmune problem was started affecting my skin and like affecting my healing ability. So it wasn't just like joint swelling. Occasionally it was like deterioration, serious deterioration. Yeah. I mean, and, and that, that truly is, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost tragic to see that happen to people and you're kind of helpless and you probably, I mean, probably they put you on immunosuppressive or immunomodulative modulating yeah. drugs and, and prednisone and, you know, corticosteroids and stuff like that. So it's kind of the mainstay for that treatment because it's just, we don't know what's caused it, cause it and we don't have very good drugs to prevent that. And so, and you said other joints were affected. And so now today, look, I mean, you look great today. I mean, you look, you just got a glow on your look like you're doing great. You know, I've seen pictures of you just look physically very fit. And, you know, it's just remarkable to see how that can be changed so dramatically, you know, and it's one of these things where these quote unquote autoimmune diseases where we don't really have it, you know, it's really, we don't know what's going on. Uh, but I do think there's such a huge component uh, of what's going on with food, probably some of it going through our, you know, GI system through things like, you know, intestinal, uh, increased intestinal permeability, the so-called leaky gut syndrome, which probably contributes to that and again it's you know what's going in our guts that's that's causing that stuff so it's really just a dramatic story and to see how i mean really destructive this can be that you know it's somebody in their you know their teenager and their, their joints are just crumbling you know yeah. within a matter of months is just shocking how aggressive that is and, and and how you know how uh we can sort of uh you know, have those things happen to us and, and, and not know what's going on. And it, it's just got to be so frustrating. And so tell me like today in whatever we're in May, 2018, you've been doing this diet, I think since about December, at least in the stricter version, the, the carnivorous version, how have you been with, with your symptoms? How are you functioning? What positives have you noticed? What negatives have you noticed so far? Um, so it's hard to, well, mostly positive, like 99% positives. Um, compared to, let's say, just before I started the diet when I was doing meat and salad, uh, compared to meat, um, my arthritis is gone and my anxiety is gone. Um, w one of the things that's hard to factor out is I'm breastfeeding now and I think I'm prone to anxiety and I think breastfeeding is making me slightly more anxious than I would normally be. Um, so I'll have to see how I do once I wean, but I would say this is like normal. And when I was doing the very restricted meat and greens, uh, I was getting mood swings, uh, which I'm sure were dependent on actually like how much, how many vegetables I'd eaten the day before and depending on, uh, and then that would depend how I felt the next day. Um, yeah. So, so better. It was the transition period also wasn't that difficult because I was eating only salad and meat, mainly meat. Um, 
but I lost the weird things that are that happened is I I seem to have lost the ability to eat chicken very well without feeling good. Like I get um dizzy, which I had associated with a sugar reaction, but I get it from chicken now, which is unfortunate because I really liked chicken. So I'm only eating beef. Um, so that's something that changed that I was surprised about. Um, and then I also was skeptical about the all meat diet because I figured, well, it works for people because they coincidentally cut out all the bad things they should be eating. They get rid of grains, sugar. Um, I'm not a huge proponent of dairy. I think that's one of the things that was really hard on me. So they get rid of all these things and then they feel better. And it's just a coincidence that it's all meat. So in January, after I'd been on the diet for, it was the, no, it was February. So after I'd been on the diet for like eight weeks, I tried to reintroduce olives. So I figured olive oil was pretty safe in the, you know, grander scheme of things. And it was, there was nothing added. It was really good olives. And I had a whole bunch of olives uh, and, you know, nothing happened that day. Um, And then the next day I got lower back pain, which is like the first thing that happens to me. Uh, And and then it always hits my mood. It's like lower back pain and then my mood gets hit. So I got lower back pain and I thought, whatever. And I had some more olives. And then and then I spent like two weeks relatively unstable and like kind of arthritic. And not compared to what it was like eating the standard American diet. But it came back just with olives. And so it seems to be literally just meat for me. Yeah, and, and that's kind of interesting. I, I see a lot of people that, that kind of in your situation. Personally, for myself, if I if I do something, I, you know, there's things I can tolerate, you know, like different foods. I can, eat, I can eat chicken. I can eat dairy. I can do those things from time to time. And I don't have any dramatically, like, horrible symptoms. I may not feel quite as good, but it's interesting you, you point that out because a lot of people, and Zach probably, because Zach doesn't do this full time, so he probably doesn't quite get it, and, and, and nor do most of the people listening to this. But as you do this longer and longer, many people really, they do find that, that, that red meat, particularly beef in many cases, seems to be the thing that works the best for them. It's the thing that is most satisfying. And it's the thing you, you, you tend to desire it more. When you're hungry, you're like, I really want a steak. And, you know, you, you might say, well, that chicken was kind of like, eh, it's not so, it's not so appealing anymore. And I think it's just, a, it's just a way you kind of sort of uh, evolve as you do this longer. Zach, what kind of questions do you have? I know you, uh, we've been kind of yeah, no. manipulating <laughs> the conversation here. No, that's fine. Uh, you know, I'm always really interested in, in folks like you, Michaela, and we had uh, Amber O'Hearn on the show a while back too. And oh, um, cool. yeah, and she's obviously got a compelling story. Uh, not too different from yours in that kind of the all meat approach or carnivore approach was was something that kind of reset her life or made it normalize at least to some degree. Um, yeah, like Sean kind of said, like I'm always interested in in some of the extreme ends of things like this because when I kind of moved to a high fat diet versus a high carbohydrate diet, it was similar in that like. I was kind of going against what everyone said I should be doing based on my activity levels of what I was training for, like extreme endurance races and things like that. Like all the science and all the data would point to, you know, high carbohydrate is what all these people are doing if they want to maximize performance. And um, for me, what, what ended up kind of happening was I started noticing some goofy things. I was about 24, 25 at the time. And, uh, you know, I started noticing I wasn't sleeping well at night. I was getting a lot more swelling and big energy swings and things like that. So fairly minor compared to what you probably dealt with. Um, but noticeable enough that like I realized that something had to change. 
Uh, so like when I kind of gravitated away from some of the foods that I, that I thought maybe were, were causing the issues, I, I noticed some of that stuff kind of clear up right away. Like the, it certainly took a little bit of time, like three or four weeks to kind of really flip that metabolic switch. Mm -hmm. Um, but some things were very apparent very early that kind of kept me, kept me going. Like, like, I think you mentioned, like after a couple of days, you noticed some stuff that was pretty eye opening and. You know, for me, it was kind of like that as well, where I had been doing it just for a few days and I started sleeping through the night for the first time in, in a couple of years. And um, I didn't have these big energy swings throughout the course of the day. Um, so kind of looking at just the, the, the whole idea of like listening to your body versus listening to what maybe conventional wisdom or the status quo would tell you, I think is a very powerful message because it's, you know, now that we have so much access to people and kind of what they're doing with social media, you know, you can see like kind of the variance and what people can tolerate or can't tolerate. And um, kind of looking at to those extreme ends, like uh, like you and Dr. Baker and um, and Amber O'Hearn are, are pretty eye-opening to like what level you may have to kind of look at in order to really nail things down. Um, so yeah, it's just, a, you know, it's just an interesting, interesting process, I think, in, uh, I think the more we look into this stuff, the more we find out and the more we realize that we have to let our bodies be our guide to a degree. So if you're feeling good or feeling better, um, you may have found a, a bit of a roadmap for yourself personally. Yeah, that's um. so I, I talk to some people and I respond to quite a few messages from really sick people who are really desperate and have tried a whole bunch of diets and are worried everything's a fad and everything. And one of the things I've been telling them is if you get rid of like the most what I consider toxic foods for yourself, you can actually almost listen to your body and it'll tell you what to do. And I think part of the problem is we're fed all these things that we're not supposed to be eating from the time we're like six months old. Uh, and then we're so overloaded that we can't figure it out. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you're only eating a couple of things wrong, like once I got down to meat and greens, I could and then ha got, had the pregnancy and everything, I could tell that the greens were bothering me. But like um, originally I cut out gluten because I actually found scientific evidence that gluten isn't good for people, um, which is actually out there that people don't know about. But um, I, so I cut that out right away and I was so sick from all the other foods that I couldn't see much of a difference. Um, so it wasn't until I got rid of like most of the foods that um, I could start listening to what my body was telling me. But as soon as I eliminated, like I was still eating some things I can't tolerate. Like I can't tolerate eggs. Um, I really can't tolerate eggs. So I was still eating rice, which was not good eggs and um, some fruit and some spices I shouldn't have been having and a whole bunch of vegetables that were bothering me. But because I had cut out soy, most grains, gluten, dairy, because, uh, because I'd cut those out, I was able to kind of figure it out myself and watch my symptoms. Whereas if people are just overloading themselves, they just have symptoms all the time and nothing changes. So that's the, the other problem I had with diet. And I guess I'm sure lots of people with autoimmune problems, um, have noticed is I didn't really notice any digestive symptoms. So I thought, okay, well I have no food problems. Mm -hmm. I have no digestive symptoms. I have no food problems. Now it, <laughs> it turned out I did have food problems and I was bloated all the time, but because the bloating didn't change, uh, and I was, you know, always arthritic and always depressed and everything was just always awful. And because nothing changed, um, I didn't associate it with food, but because my food reactions, like I'm so sensitive and because they last so long, if I was to eat something wrong 
you know, every two weeks, I wouldn't get better. And that's so hard to believe that um, it makes <laughs> it makes it a lot easier if you just get rid of everything and then start at a baseline and try and figure it out then. Yeah, I've I've said that multiple times. It's probably the easiest elimination diet to do. You can you can yeah. really you can really you can really be a you know, you can be a detective and you can you can take the long route by pulling one food at a time or you just yeah. eliminate everything and go and then you've got a pretty good baseline to start from. You know, it's really interesting, you know, just circling back to when we talk about uh, you know, mental health and and diet because a lot of people, you know, they kinda they kinda act like the brain isn't part of the body and it isn't an organ. It doesn't respond to the same physiology. And I see over and over again, you know, people that, you know, where diet affects perhaps their joints, like like in your case and many people that have arthritis or you know, their, their high blood pressure, whatever, it affects your brain too. And I think it's one of the things we fail to appreciate. And we've got all this, you know, growing amount of mental health problems, you know, in society in general. I mean, it's obvious to see this, you know, we, we, every day we're turning around, we're seeing some crazy guy shooting a bunch of people, you know, going to school and shooting all kids. And yeah. so we see this, this chronic, you know, you know, high prevalence of, of mental health disease. And, and I absolutely think much of it, maybe not all of it, but much of it is related to diet in, in probably in no small way. And I think that's very important. Are you getting other people? Because I know one of the issues you had talked about was depression, anxiety, and stuff like that. And same thing with your dad. Now that you've sort of gotten a little more, uh, uh, you know, uh, popular with regard to this stuff, are you getting people with mental health issues coming to you and saying, hey, Michaela, this diet has helped me mentally. Is that something you're experiencing? I know I am. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, mental health I've found is the hardest thing to fix diet related, depending on how sick you are. Like if you're suffering from some low level of anxiety, then that seems pretty simple to get rid of. And, but if it's something really serious, um, then from what I've seen, you can be more drastically affected by food. So I know um, like the symptom for me that comes back if I ever accidentally ingest something, the anxiety comes back like full force right away and lasts for a really long time. And the arthritis is like, okay, minor joint pain. I can handle that. It's the anxiety that you really can't handle. I think part of the reason people don't associate the brain with the body is because when you get, and I've been fairly, like I can say I've been fairly mentally ill, especially in my like early 20s when it started getting worse. I was on a whole bunch of medication and I was really not doing well. Um, I think part of the reason people don't associate the brain with the body is because when you get anxious, you can think of 400 reasons or 400 things that are causing your anxiety that could easily be causing your anxiety, but they're not. And I'm like, I'm pretty convinced that unless you've had something serious happen to you, like, you know, an upcoming surgery or fighting with your family or a death mental health has got to been got to be like a a poison reaction because looking back on it that's what it feels like it felt like i was poisoned and but it, it's hard when it's when it's affecting how you think and how you look at people cuz like i said you can think of tons of reasons why you're not feeling well yeah i mean and and i think that's there's a lot of truth in that. And, you know, some people will dismiss it, but I, I, I just, you know, you see it over and over again with, with people just saying my anxiety went away. My, that's the best I've ever felt, you know, both, not yeah. only physically. And, and when you feel good physically, when you're not in pain, that definitely, you know, makes you feel happy. Yeah, but, yeah. but, you know, at the same time, there's people that beyond that, they're just like, my mood is just better when I'm on a better diet. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because my sister, you know, she has a, uh, a 10 year old, I think she's not, no, she's nine now, nine year old daughter, my niece. And I went to visit her and she was just having really bad behavior problems and just like this really 
kind of not very respectful, screaming, yelling, you know, just not being a, a nice kid. And I was like, you know, and I looked at her diet and I said, you're feeding her, you know, basically, you know, this, what every kid usually eats in here, you know, it's goldfish and gummy bears and, you know, the, the healthy quote, quote unquote, healthy snacks, the, the, the granola bars. And I'm like, this all the sugar and garbage. And I said, yeah, let's do an experiment, get this stuff out of her, her life. And it was interesting because we were, ta- I, we, I, I literally, I went to her house. I said, we're going to throw all this stuff in the trash. Yeah. And she, the girl, the daughter, my niece literally was on the floor screaming yeah. like a, like a, like a drug addict, two-year-old having a tantrum because we were taking away all the sugary stuff. But, you know, we got rid of it. And I talked to my sister now, you know, two, three months later, you know, six months later, she's, she's like another kid. She's complete. Her behavior is completely changed. And so we have, you know, and I, and I get people telling me, you know, my, my kid who had ADHD or my kid who has autism or Asperger's disease, they are better when you mm-hmm. get the crap out of their diet. And so I think we, I mean, it, it's just, I mean, it seems so simple, but we are, you know, the things we think are healthy, even, you know, all the healthy quote unquote healthy snacks that are organic, they're still garbage. And so it's, yeah. it's just, it's just amazing. And I, I know you have a, how old your, your, is that a little daughter you have? How old is she? Yeah. She's almost 10 months. Yeah. And you know, if you look at, cause I mean, you know, you're breastfeeding, but if you look at some of the infant formula, you know, oh, it's the first God. ingredients yeah. are corn, corn, sh- corn syrup. syrup and soy, yeah. you know, soybean oil and, and, you know, some it's kind of horrifying. wheat gluten. You know? And so it's like, we're starting these yeah. kids off from birth, starting that I stuff. Know. And it's, then it's the next really thing you want, awful. the next thing you want is Gerber wants you to put them on the rice cereal. And so it's just, it's just, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It's crazy, yeah. I got formula samples dropped off at my house, and I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to use these, but I wonder what the ingredients are. And yeah, soybean oil, corn syrup was like number two. Like, that's how could anyone, even who's in charge of that business, think that that's okay to give a baby that? (laughs) So awful. And yeah, it does seem like once you've, I guess, once you've changed your diet, especially and seen the effect it can have, it does seem obvious oh, don't eat that much sugar. But before, like when I was sick and people would say, well, just eat healthier, I didn't know what that meant. And I was eating, so one of, like I said, one of the things that made me really sick was dairy. And I was pretty much surviving off of like cheese and crackers and Mr. Noodles in vodka in university. Uh, And um, when they said eat healthier, I was like, okay, I'll add more protein, like add more cheese. Um, I didn't know what that meant and then if you look at the science it tells you to eat your whole grains right Mm -hmm. and so like no wonder people are confused and then there's also this like emotional side of telling people to change their diet because it puts especially if you have depression um it feels like you're being blamed like i got told um exercise more stop sleeping as much and change what you're eating all the time and it was like i can't not sleep I'm exhausted. Like I can't stop sleeping. Uh, I don't have enough energy to exercise. Exercise doesn't make me feel better anymore anyways. And like, what do you mean eat healthier? Like, fuck you. Like, I'm not eating healthy now. Right. So well, there's just so much misinformation. Uh, it's really hard to figure out. And I think if people stopped, if there was a way to try and teach people, I think like, I think people are doing a pretty good job, but I think if there's a way to try and tell people like, change the way you eat. You haven't done anything wrong. Like it's not your fault that you're sick. It's not that you've been doing something wrong, but here's an opportunity and like try out this way of eating and just see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a touchy subject. Yeah. And to kind of build off that too, it's, you know, I was a school teacher for five years before moving out, out here, out West. Um, and you know, it just kind of spirals on itself. So they start out with the baby formula that has like all those ingredients that you mentioned. And then 
I remember one of the school districts I worked for, they had us in a new teacher orientation and they brought out, uh, they brought out like the school nutritionist and, and, uh, they were like really excited because they had these new options for the students. And it was, it was like a low fat whole wheat pizza or something like that. And I remember thinking, cause at that time I had already kind of connected some of those dots. Um, and I was just like, you know, this is, this is just going to compound a problem we already have. We're already asking these students to sit in desks for seven to eight hours a day, which they don't want to do. And then on top of it, we're giving them food that's going to make them more anxious, make them, you know, less healthy. Um, and then some of them don't like it to begin with. Like you have a kid who's been eating a relatively unhealthy diet for their, the majority of their life. You know, they, they realize that they don't like the whole wheat, low fat pizza option compared to Domino's or Pizza Hut. So when they get into high school, they just don't eat that. And then they just go to the gas station and buy soda and candy bars. So then it's like, it just kind of almost prolongs a a bad choice into an even worse choice. Um, and then, you know, by the time they're adults, they have no information. They're not armed with any information. So I think like scaling it back to like what you said is, is almost a necessity at this point where we, we can't keep saying like, here's this protocol of what to do that has like a whole bunch of steps that all kind of rely on one another and then people just get confused but when you can kind of reset things to baseline and just start out with 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 meat and kind of go from there um i think that's that's a valuable tool and something that people when they get past the psychological part of it of like society tells me that eating all meat is crazy and kill me gonna give me scurvy and this that and the other thing um and they get past that and they start noticing some of those upfront signals that you noticed. Uh, it's like pretty eye-opening to them. And then, you know, they can, like Sean always says, like there are people who can tolerate more and you can always add more back. And if you be, if you are one of them, then great. But if not, you at least have some, some baseline answers to kind of renormalize your life. Yeah, it's interesting. I read, um, I was looking up, it's, <laughs> it's hard to find out what, you're actually supposed to do right so Mm -hmm. even for child rearing like I don't trust anybody anymore and I definitely don't trust the medical community which is very unfortunate but I got really angry after I realized I'd had my hip and ankle replaced and it was preventable Mm. for obvious reasons but anyway so I was looking at like trying to find a culture that hadn't been like poisoned by this like American diet um, to see what they do Um, and I I know we've talked about Inuit culture like (sighs) a bit because they ate mainly meat. So I was looking at the Inuit culture and what did they do for like breastfeeding and pregnancy and all that. And it turns out that this was a paper from like the seventies. Some people went in and interviewed a whole bunch of like, um, like uh, Inuit elders. And it, it turns out that during pregnancy, they told women not to eat plants and berries. That was one of the things people were told during pregnancy. So generally they'd have, they'd eat, you know, meat, fat, and then berries and occasional plants. Um, but mainly meat and fat, but during pregnancy, you weren't supposed to eat the berries and plants, which I thought was interesting because my symptoms got much worse food wise during pregnancy. So it, it's not unheard of. And it, it's not crazy if you go back far enough. It's just, we've been given so much information that's completely the opposite of what we should be given that people are so confused and scared. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, and I try to put this in context, you know, in modern culture, Western culture 2018, it is absolutely considered crazy to go on an all-meat diet. I mean, it's just the way, you know, because everything around you is, is based on the snack food industry, 
a high processed food, carbohydrate, energy, you know, having all this choice, thousands of different food options are, are available to us. But that is really not human history. In most of human history, we've had very few options to eat. You know, if you, even if you mm. went back 200 years, there'd only be, you know, four or five foods you could routinely eat. And so when you look at these populations like the Inuit or the Maasai or the Sami or the others, people that, you know, live primarily on almost all meat diets, you know, for those guys, the Mongolians and stuff, it would be like it's it's Tuesday. It's you know, it's just yeah. a normal day, and and we're like, oh my gosh, it's the craziest thing in the world. But it's interesting because my dad, like your dad, I put him on a carnivorous diet, and he had colon cancer, and he's on a he's on a, a all meat diet. You know, he had a colonoscopy. You know, six months into it, and it was perfect. You know, even after having had col- part of his colon removed for colon cancer, but he was telling me wow. he read a book. He read a book uh called i think it was called the arctic village it was written probably in the 1950s and it and it, and it looked at a, a group of people living i think they were inuit living somewhere in northern alaska and he the, the author came to the conclusion that they would talk about mental health they were the happiest people he had ever met you know just and because they were just eating you know what they were probably designed to eat or you know in, in tune with their environment and they were incredibly happy even though it was free you know northern alaska is not the most you know, it's not Hawaii, you know, you're yeah, on the yeah. snow and it's freezing and, you know, you're, you're, you're eating that. But they were just from a mental health standpoint. One of the comments he made was these are, you know, undoubtedly some of the happiest, joyous, most, you know, wonderfully satisfied people on earth. And I think that's pretty, pretty interesting. And I talk about things called nutritional security when your brain is being fed correctly. And I think maybe you can kind of maybe echo on that is like you just feel better. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not hungry. Like, I mean, one of the signs that seems blatantly obvious that we're eating wrong is, at least for me, I was hungry all the time. Mm-hmm. Like starving. I literally felt like I was starving, but I was gaining weight. And every time I ate, I would eat. I'd eat way more. I was eating easily as much as my dad. Um, and then I'd get so full and I'd be like, oh, you know, I'm bloated. And I'd be like, oh, okay. I ate too much. Right. Um, and then I... It was so frustrating. It was. It literally got to a point when I started getting really sick. Um, this was after the joint replacement, so sicker than that. In my early twenties, I got to a point where I'd go out to restaurants and they give you way too much food, right? Um, and I'd eat as, as much as I could until I was like feeling extremely full, and then I'd have to get my parents to move my plate away, or I'd keep eating, and the full feeling would get worse. They'd be like, "Okay, take my plate away," and then I would sit there like starving but physically so full. And you'd think that that would be a sign that what you're putting into your body isn't working. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It was just, I was just like, okay, that's just how I just ate too much. And that's just how life is. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 and one of the things I, even in the case of obesity, I think it's largely a malnourishment problem because you're yeah. getting, you're getting substance, but you're not getting nutrition. And so we have yeah. all these highly calorically dense but low nutrient dense you know calories are still we still need calories are still a nutrient but you you're so lacking on you know the structure protein fat some of the micronutrients that you're eating all this other garbage but this reminds me of the point you brought to about the bloating because you know you had you had said well being bloated is normal and that's my normal day-to-day experience so i didn't think i had any digestive issues and i I wrote the same thing i thought that's just how digestion is supposed to be yeah and then when it goes away you're like wait a minute i'm not supposed to have bloat this is a vast improvement yeah Yeah, you you normalize discomfort almost and it's yeah but people don't people don't even know what normal is you know Mm -hmm. it's kind of like until you experience it and so that's what's kind of so weird but here's another question here's another question i you know because i'm i'm fairly abrasive at times right now I'll, I'll 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 uh 
you know, I, I'm pretty, I don't like to compromise my message. So I, I believe strongly. So I pissed off a lot of people that disagree with me, primarily people like, you know, vegans that collect like to say, you know, bad, you know, they, they, they have their point of view and they don't disagree with me and, they, and they're very not shy about saying that. And so, you know, on your diet right now, animals have to die. I mean, you are eating an all meat diet. Cows are dying. You know, they got, they got cute little faces and all that stuff and you have to eat them. And so, if there's somebody that says, Michaela, you're killing this this animal, and your 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 ethics are off, and you know you're destroying the planet, and and you say to them, well, if I don't do this, I'm in miserable pain. I mean, how how does that does that does that conversation ever come up? And how how do oh, yeah. how do you I've respond had, to that? Uh, I've had people tell me, mostly people who haven't actually looked into anything I've written, be like, well, have you tried the vegan diet? Or you know, vegan the vegan diet eliminates suffering. And it's like, okay, so if you're focused purely on cows suffering, then yes, the vegan diet eliminates that. If you want to ignore human suffering and focus on cow suffering, then you, you go to the vegan diet. I'm a proponent of the meat diet because it seems to eliminate human suffering. And I'm extremely like thankful for cows. Um, I, and I was fairly like, I stopped eating pork in high school because I knew about like the IQ of pigs and I felt bad. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to choose to eat an animal, I'll just eat something dumber than a pig. And it sounds bad, but whatever. Um, so I did cut out pork for like, I don't know, moral or ethical or whatever reasons. Um, so I, I have been thinking that way. And I started eating meat that wasn't from factory farms because I did care about that. But there isn't, there is a huge difference between us raising animals to eat and humans dying from autoimmune disorders. I mean, when you walk down the street and see overweight, seriously overweight people who are trying their hardest to lose weight, who are, you know, running 10 kilometers a day, being told that they're lazy and starving, that uh, makes me feel a lot worse than eating a cow. And I mean, I can understand, I can understand where vegans are coming from. If there was a way for me to feel like this where I didn't eat meat, I would do it. But that doesn't seem to be what's good for people. So there isn't an option. And I'm incredibly thankful that cows exist and that I can feel like this. And I understand that they have to suffer for me to feel like this. But the alternative is a lot more suffering. Yeah. So, like, there isn't an option. Yeah, and I think too, like some of that, like when you really start to unpack that too, like if like, you know, if we are looking at uh, like where our place is or our role is amongst like, you know, animals and plants and all that stuff is like, you know, we're a piece to that puzzle to think that we're going to remove it all to remove our yeah. piece of the puzzle altogether is like breaking the puzzle up. And like, you know, if, if we focused on, you know, returning a lot of these like monocropping areas to grazing lands and stuff, I mean, yeah. those cows live a, a very good life before they're, before yeah. we eat them. And then the alternative is, I guess, letting nature return to itself without us there. And those cows are going to, um, you know, or maybe less, less so the cows, but other animals like deer or, um, other things are going to, they're going to die a much worse death. So like, yeah, you know, cows too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's like, you know, it, you really kind of have to unpack it more than just, uh, you know, thinking like, oh, well, we're we're abusing these animals the entirety of their life, uh, or we're murdering these animals. And it's like, well, how can we kind of fit ourselves in there so that these cows live a filling life before we, you know, 
put them in or use them in the in the rightful place with us in the context. Also, would you rather just cows not exist? Is that the alternative? Like, if we're not raising them to eat, what are they going to go <laughs> right mm-hmm. graze and not be eaten by something else? Like they just, I don't know. I I don't. I can see. <laughs> I can see where vegans are coming from, but if they actually think about lessening suffering and want to do that, then going after people who feel better because they're eating meat is not the way to do that. Yeah, and it seems like we kind of also, we prioritize certain animals. So like some of them are like, yeah, they're like these sacred ones where like we need to treat them with more respect than we do other humans. And then there's ones that we don't care about. There's the field mice that get just ravaged by the plowing system when we're doing these monocropping setups and things like that. It's like, well, that's a life as well. Um, there's all the different like bugs and worms and things that are getting churned up when we till soil and things like that. So it's it really does when you kind of, when you unpack it, like, like living things, I think I said this in a different podcast, but like living things tend to, you know, live off of other living things. And whether you're looking at that as a plant or an animal, it's still a living thing. Um, and we're all kind of using one another in order to kind of perpetuate life as it is. Yeah, I can see that. I, I can understand why people don't want to compare like a cow to a worm though. <laughs> like e- even when I went to like cutting out pork, which Turns out it doesn't make me feel as good anyway, so I'm not going to eat it. But even when I went there, I went based on IQ. So I can understand where people are coming from. So I guess my main thing is I compare it to the amount of suffering some people are going through. Mm-hmm. And there isn't a comparison. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's important to hear from the human perspective that there is human suffering. And, and you know, and, and for many people, you know, I started the, you know, I don't know if you're aware, I started a little website called meatheals.com. And I've got, yeah. you know, just dozens and you know, approaching 100, 100 stories. And, and I get some every day of people just saying, look, I got out of all kinds of pain. You know, my mental health got better. You know, whatever. It's, it's, it's like disease after disease after disease that improved when they did this. And so what do you tell those people? You say, well... That's all nice and good, but you need to go back and suffer uh, so we don't eat cows. And, you know, and, and like I said, cows, what we pointed out, cows would not be alive if we didn't eat them. I mean, there was only like 20 cows left in the whole world somewhere in Asia when we bred them all back to existence over the last, you know, several thousand years or so. And so what we have, the, the billion plus cows we have today started out as a group of about 12 we, we, because they taste good. You know, the cows are my favorite animals because they taste the best. But, you know, you know, I know it's kind of a funny way to say that, but, you know, I like my dogs and stuff like that. But, you know, like I said, if, if the world didn't have dogs, I'd be, I'd, I'd be sadder if I didn't have cows, you know, to, just to be selfish about it. But I think if we look back evolutionarily, you know, we probably, and there's pretty good evidence on this, that we, we, we as humans, early humans, Homo erectus, early Homo sapiens, we hunted these big giant animals, you know, these these things like like mammoth and woolly rhinoceros and these other things we call the megafauna, and we ate them until we they they became extinct, and now yeah, we only have which these. Which wasn't small, ideal, right? Well, we we wore them out, you know, and so now yeah. we just have these 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 different strategies. We developed agriculture, yeah. and these other things, to cope with that stuff, and now really the best. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me. Like a ribeye steak. I mean, it's it's got enough fat on there. It's just particularly satisfying. And I think humans evolved eating these little bit fattier cuts of meat, and I think that's why it's so, you know, it's almost primitive. You know, when you eat that, it's it's mm-hmm. almost like you get a you yeah. get a deep satisfaction that sugar doesn't give you. It's just a, it's a deep, nourishing, pr- primal. You know, I'm nourished rather when you get a hit of sugar or something like that. It's just like a quick high, and I think it's a different, you know, it's a it's a total different chemistry. Have you noticed stuff like that? Yeah, that's actually something I wanted to get into. Um, I noticed recently, so uh, I get 
most of my meat in Toronto from like I found a good butcher. Um, and I'm really picky about my steaks. Um, so I found a good butcher and I like the meat. It's, um, it's antibiotic free and I'll come back to that too. Um, and it's super fatty and I really like that meat. And then I came to Hawaii and I'm at the Whole Foods in Hawaii and they gave me a whole bunch of ribeye that was really lean <laughs> for ribeye. And I was like angry <laughs> because I have, I don't know. I was like, what, what is this? Like they had trimmed off everything. And I was like, you got, where did you put that? Like, I actually do care that it's an animal and you're throwing away part of it. The part that I like to eat, like coincidentally. Um, and I've realized, and I'm not sure if it's just for people or me cause I'm breastfeeding, but I think I'm gravitating towards more and more fat. So at the beginning of the meat diet, I was eating ribeye and I, you know, was cu cutting off fat and kind of frying it and eating some of it. Uh, and I would get bloating and it would make me kind of uncomfortable, but all my other symptoms were gone. So I was like, whatever, I'll just deal with it. That subsided after about six weeks, but I seem to be tolerating more higher and higher quantities of fat. And now, so I got to Hawaii and I got these lean ribeyes and I was no joke eating four pounds a day. And <laughs> I was hungry and I was like, this is insane. This is expensive and I'm hungry and I'm not happy with this. Um, and this is a ridiculous quantity of food for me. Um, so I switched over to ribs, um, just like short ribs. And it was like one and a half steaks and a couple of ribs. And I was like, that's weird. So it turns out like the more fat I eat, the less meat I eat. So I think what I'm going to do when I get back to Toronto is I'm asking for meat trimmings from my, from the butcher. Cause they, you know, trim off a whole bunch of fat and then I don't know what, put it in sausages or something. And they sell it for like $3 a pound, which is way cheaper than ribeye. So I think I'm going to cut down on the meat and increase the fat quantity because I like it. It's satisfying. And I eat so much less. It's strange. So yeah, I can, I can see ribeye is obviously my favorite. And I like the bone in ribeye, uh, but I really like ribs too. Um, but I think I'm going to up the fat, intake and see what that does because that'd be pretty funny to survive off of what nobody eats anymore for two dollars a pound <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, you know it's it's kind of like it's your energy you know and, and probably michael as you probably saw some body composition changes and you may maybe perhaps as you got leaner you, you your your capacity to tolerate more fat in the diet might may improve uh mm -hmm. just because that's that becomes your energy source and you don't have as much sort of endogenous self-contained fat that you can draw from so now you're leaner and you're like i got to get energy from somewhere mm -hmm. you know the protein's not the best way to do it and the fat is a better source and so i think it, it's kind of interesting as you get closer to what i think is healthy normal human metabolism you know you you, you sort of run on this this blend of 30 percent protein 70 percent fat i think you know it's, it's variable a little bit depend on situation how much exercise you do and so on and so forth but you know obviously with breastfeeding you know you've got a higher energy requirement again you know because you're you're trying to produce this you know fuel for not, not only fueling yourself but you got to fuel fuel your little baby and so mm -hmm. uh yeah i think there's a lot of truth to that and i think a lot of people that do this long term again they, they gravitate towards red meat they tend to long term sort of prefer the fattier cuts of meat you know you can talk to people like i'm sure you're aware of a gal named uh, charlene anderson who's been doing mm -hmm. this for nearly 20 years and, and that's their thing joe and charlene they're they're everyday ribeyes and they've been doing it for 20 years and that's what gets it for them and i think that's again i think that goes back to our evolutionary roots when we were hunting mammoths and other these big big fatty animals and i think that's what i think that is a human food and then the rest of it is kind of decoration and fluff and excitement and, and entertainment and flavor and if you can tolerate that stuff great good on you you know and you, and you may find michaela that as time goes by as your guts heal because you know mm -hmm. as you probably know now 
you know, the bloating that you thought was normal is not normal. And as your guts heal, you may find that down the road, maybe you can tolerate a few other things. And it may be interesting just to periodically, now if you're, if you're, your back hurts and you're wiped out for two weeks every time you do that, you know, maybe it's not so fun to experiment. But I found for me, you know, a year and a half into this that, you know, I can tolerate dairy a little better than I used to. And, you know, so I'll put, I'll, put, I'll put a little dairy in there. But it, it's, again, I think it's, it's you know, because there, there, there are people that do this and they can't tolerate anything and they stay that way and they never they never go away. And there's a lot of people that are like, I can't just eat meat my whole life. It's crazy. And so some of those people that I have seen, they'll go on an all-meat diet for three, six months. They'll do really well. They'll come off of it. They'll go back to their normal junkie diet and they'll come right back to it yeah. uh, because they felt so much better. And then they may say, okay, I can I can do meat and then I can do a little bit of you know avocado here and there or something like that. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I think that's totally fine too. It's not like yeah, yeah. You know, I think you and I were like, we're not dogmatic about this. We're like, do what works for you. And if you yeah. can, if you are luck, lucky enough to be able to tolerate like Zach, I can have this and that. Great. Wonderful. And there's no negative consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Just listen to your body. And if you can't figure it out, going down to meat can help you figure it out. Mm-hmm. Has, has your dad, I mean, he's been doing this, what, a, a month or two now or six weeks or something like that? Is, is, is he staying pretty like happy? Is he noticing anything beyond the improvement in anxiety so far, or what's his what's his what's his take so far, Ben? Well, because I put him on this like extremely limited elimination diet, I came up with um, all his physical health, health symptoms. Most of his physical health symptoms had gone away already. So he lost fifty pounds. Like uh, his psoriasis cleared up. He had weird numbness in his legs for like eighteen years that went away. Um, but he was left with muscle weakness, which was new. Just like the feeling of muscle weakness, not actual muscle weakness, and then anxiety. And that cleared up by going all meat. He was also occasionally getting a mouth ulcer, which we knew was directed to sugar um, or, or carbs. He was, so that went away. All that's cleared up. The problem with whatever's wrong with us and is if we eat anything wrong, hopefully we'll get less sensitive. I'm hoping that was the case. It just it hasn't seemed to happen yet. Maybe that's because I was still eating some vegetables. I don't know. Um, but anytime we eat something wrong, it's like a month of serious, two weeks of serious problems and a month back until you're back to normal, maybe five weeks. Like it's very unpleasant. So like dad just went out because he's on the road all the time. He goes out to restaurants and has to be like, you know, all I'm eating is meat. Do not put anything on it. Like if you put anything on it, I'm going to die. Like (laughs) very dramatic and people, you know, roll your, roll your eyes at that. So he went out and he ordered steak and chicken and you know is there anything on any of this blah 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 blah. and then it turns out you know he he got back the next day and was like oh, i have lower back pain my face is like tingly like what's going on it turns out they had marinated the chicken mm-hmm. but they hadn't added anything after they cooked it after the marinating they hadn't mentioned anything but it's like so now he's you know going to be iffy for hopefully not that iffy but he's going to be iffy for the next three weeks and it affects him like cognitively as well so hopefully the I was hoping with gut healing like when I originally convinced him to cut out these foods and go on the elimination diet I said you know we'll just get back to normal we'll heal our guts and then we'll be able to reintroduce some of these foods and then it's been this like three and a half years journey of that not happening so hopefully we get less sensitive with just meat I'm just not particularly convinced, especially for myself, considering I started having like health problems at like one and a half or two. I can't imagine there was that much gut damage as a two-year-old. It's not like I survived off of sugar as a two-year-old. 
but I was eating the standard American diet. So I don't know. It's hard to say. Hopefully we'll get less sensitive. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention, which, um, so originally I was saying, you know, as long as you eat meat, everything's fine and dandy, especially beef. Um, for me specifically, anyway, uh, I got to Hawaii and I was eating and I figured, okay, I'll stop off at Costco and get ribeye because they're so much cheaper. And they were more marveled than this stuff at Whole Foods anyway. And it turns out, and now I've tested it out like four times because it's cheaper. Uh, the stuff with antibiotics and hormones makes my digestion upset instantly. It's like 15 minutes. And it doesn't give me any other symptoms, but I get a stomach ache, then I get diarrhea, and then that's it. I can still eat it, but like it doesn't make my body happy. So I thought that was interesting because it seems like grain-fed, antibiotic-free is fine. Grass-fed, antibiotic-free is fine. But with the antibiotics and hormones, it makes my digestive up system upset. So that's something new I've found out recently. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, it's kind of because I've seen the spectrum all sorts on that sort of on that sort of topic, whether it's grain finished or grass finished. You know, people people have some people do well with one and, and less well with the other. And it doesn't seem to be any exact pattern. This And so mm -hmm. I know you keep saying just meat, but let me let me just kind of put a positive spin on that. I mean, talk about I mean, do you do you enjoy your meals now? I mean, do you oh, look yeah. forward to them. I mean, do you tell me about your favorite way to cook a steak and, and, and that okay, sort of stuff. Okay, yeah, no, I definitely do not make mean to make this negative. And I tell people that too, like the surprising thing is, you know, it's upsetting going down to all meat initially because of all these other foods that taste so good. And the first three weeks can be really unpleasant, especially with the cravings, because man, are some of those foods addictive. Um, I've had a number of people tell me they've stopped smoking and it was easier than cutting out sugar. Um, but then after like three weeks, it seems to be about 21 days. One day, at least for me too, the cravings just stopped. There's And there's no cravings anymore. If I accidentally eat something wrong, the cravings come back. But there's no cravings and like every day in the morning, I'm like, you know, I'm happy to have a steak. I sing a little steak song. I'm like <laughs> happy about the steak. I'm, I never like unless I just eaten a steak, I uh, there's no time where I don't want one. And I don't know if that surprises me or not. I figured that if there was one food I wouldn't be able to get tired of, it would be steak. But yeah, no, I enjoy every meal. No meal makes me uncomfortable. I'm always like perfectly full afterwards. Um, I never have crashes. I'm never starving. Like even when I'm hungry, I'm not hungry. I'm just slow. Like my whole idea of hunger was wrong. Um, no, I, going grocery shopping is easy. It takes two seconds. You don't have to go up and down all the aisles. You just skip all the aisles and go to the butcher and then leave. Cooking takes you know, 15 minutes in the morning and then eating takes, depending on how fast I eat it, like 15 minutes. I spend no time on dishes. Like there's absolutely no downside. Well, the only downside is the social downside because not very many people do this and people look at you like you're insane. But other than that, all there are, are upsides. I don't miss other food. And I think I've had such bad reactions to other food that I have a whole like fear response to them. So I don't even like going to the bakery section of the like grocery store. I just don't want to be anywhere near that stuff. It, like makes me angry. So, oh yeah, there have only been benefits. And I honestly, I would tell people who are, who aren't even exhibiting any strange symptoms to get their diet under control as fast as they can, because you know, you're not going to make it to 50 
with no symptoms eating a standard American diet. If you're mm-hmm. super healthy, that's when you'll start getting symptoms. But I found most of my friends, like you hit your mid 20s and you start getting tired. Like you start getting tired and you start getting anxious and you start gaining weight. And that's if you're like a healthy person. Some people can keep it off till a little bit later, but no one's going to get away with not fixing their diet. Yeah, I found that out in my mid 40s because I've been been an athlete, you know, a hard charging athlete. And I was, you know, I just thought you can eat whatever you want as long as you train hard enough. And that that worked until it stopped working at about, you know, age 43, 44. And then I had to come to terms with, hey, I can't eat this crap anymore. But, you know, and it's it's, it's interesting to point out because it, it is, again, it is extremely convenient. It's easy. You know, there's no. You know, is the meals are just easy. How many meals do you eat a day? Do you typically fall? I mean, most people run into about two meals a day. Is that what you're finding for you or what's your meal frequency like? So when I started, I started at two. Um, I was eating at like 11 and at five, something like that. Um, and I was eating two, about two or two and a half pounds of meat a day. And I was fine. And then maybe it's because I'm breastfeeding more than I was. Um, I started eating more and now I'm eating. Like I said, it depends. If it's lean meat, I can just keep eating it. Um, so actually it it depends. Like yesterday I only had two meals, but I had ribs. I had a lot of fat. It was probably more like 85, 15. Like it was mostly fat. Uh, and I only had two meals, but normally I'll have three ribeyes, but I think, I mean, I guess I'll update you later and see what happens. I think if I switch over to a higher ratio of fat, I'll eat less, but so far it's three and my husband's doing three and my parents are doing three. And they're all eating, like, fish and chicken and beef. I'm the only one who's just eating beef. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch the rest of your family and see if they gravitate more towards towards just beef. Because that, yeah. that, that's been my experience over, you know, people that do it for six months. Or all of a sudden, they're like, man, that fish just, it just doesn't get it for me. You know, you yeah, might have it yeah. once in a while as a side dish. But, you know, you're like, man, bring on the, bring on the good stuff. You know? Yeah, it'll be interesting. <laughs> Yeah, you Zach, know, you got anything else? Yeah, go ahead. Just one more thing. You know, I've uh, I've don't have as much experience as both of you with kind of the carnivore approach, but like I've done, I want to say my longest stretch is eight days. That I've been kind of using it more or less as my recovery protocol. So after a big training block or after a race, I'll cut out everything but meat for a few days and kind of let everything kind of reset. And the thing I noticed during that eight day period I did it was like it's it's this kind of goes back to what you're saying about kind of feeling overly full but still hungry um what i noticed is like i would eat and you know when you're satisfied but it was such a different feeling of satisfied yeah like you don't feel full you just feel like i'm done and then i I remember thinking like i had eaten a steak i remember thinking you know i could go for a run right now and it wouldn't bother me whereas any other time i eat a meal and it's like i'm probably not gonna run for at least a couple hours if not a few hours because everything's kind of got to process and digest so it just seems like um just the level of comfort in that where you never feel hungry but you also never feel full or bloated um and i actually suspect that most people are associating feeling full with being bloated and that's kind of yeah definitely yeah they become kind of uh synonymous with one another and they just don't know what it's like to feel satisfied as opposed to full or bloated and um so it's it's definitely i think one of the biggest pluses with it is that kind of you know that that being able to kind of trust what you're eating in the sense that you're going to eat and then your body will be honest with you and tell you it's full as opposed to um like I had that same experience as you did in that I'd do like a big training day and I'd be eating all these, you know, different food sources, probably way too much fiber. So like my stomach filled up very quickly, but my body still 
wanted more food because I probably hadn't given, I hadn't nourished it 100% like, like what you would be doing on, on a, a more dialed in approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I guess one thing I could say, um, that, yeah, our idea of hunger too, that feeling like you're starving, mm-hmm. isn't what hunger is supposed to be like. Like when I get hungry now, I think, could I eat a steak? Like I guess. <laughs> of mm-hmm. course, I have the opportunity to, to eat steaks whenever I want, which is I'm very happy about. But um, I get slower. Like if I get really hungry, I get slower. And cognitively, I get slower. And I'm like, oh, words aren't coming out as well as they should mm-hmm. be. I need to eat something. But dad, because he'd been eating wrong for like 50, you know, four years or whatever, had to learn what hunger was like. So at the beginning, he wasn't eating very much. And he was like, well, I'm not hungry. And I had to be like, okay, this is how much you have to eat. You Just forget your idea of what you thought hunger was like. Just make sure you keep eating until you can't eat anymore. And that's when you're full. Because you, you get so, okay, I really don't want to eat anymore. And that's full. It's not physically full as much. So I had to t- kind of teach him to eat enough by saying just, can you eat more? Because he'd take a small plate of food. And I'd be like, okay, I'm eating twice as much as much as that so that's not good enough so i give him more and he'd be like no i don't need any more i'm not hungry but I'm like okay can you eat that he's like yeah that's hunger then but man people are so confused especially like the longer i think the longer it is that you well no you seem to have figured it out like sean you seem to have figured it out pretty quickly but i'd like maybe i don't know but dad uh dad is had a heart, hell of a time he's he's good at it now but it was hard yeah, it's one thing, and, and it's kind of interesting. We're going to have a guy named Charles Washington on. I don't know if you're familiar with Charles. You know, he's been doing this diet for going on 11 years now, and he he wow. he he moderates or he basically owns a website called Zeroing In on Health, and they've got oh, yeah. 19,000 or so people, and he's a marathon runner. But and one of the things he often tells people, and I've echoed this too, is you know the biggest issue that people have early on is they don't eat enough, and they just because yeah. it's it's yeah. it's just a, you're right, their hunger signals are messed up. It's a different sort of satiation and, and i tell people you got to look at how your performance is how your energy is and, and then also if you feel hungry then those things are all signals that you know it's time to eat something and the biggest the biggest error i see people doing is is, is exactly that they don't eat enough and mm-hmm. i tell people put away your put away your calculators put away mm-hmm. your macronutrient things don't put away the scale don't worry about that stuff just eat until you're completely full stay full you know, if you think about a craving, if something's in, just eat some more, you know, mm-hmm. eat some more steak. And, and that's how you get through this transition period. And I think that works mm-hmm. pretty well for most people. Uh, some people, you know, they're still, they, I, I still get people there like guy, big guys or big guys, a 200 pound guy will say, you know, I don't have any energy. It sucks. And I ask how much you're eating. And they're like, I'm eating like a pound and a half of meat. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? I wouldn't even get me up the stairs, dude. You know, so it's like, you know, you got to yeah. eat, you got to eat more. And it's, it's interesting if you look back in the history, you know, you've got like these Inuit people that would eat four to eight pounds of meat every day. Uh, wow. You know, and, and I've heard it. I know, uh, Mikhail, you're saying that four pounds was a ridiculous amount, but I'm well, a lot of women, small women, you know, your sides are smaller that eat that much, not that infrequently. And, and you know, the yeah. thing is that they, they stay their size. And so at some point, you know, you listen to your appetite and your appetite says, this is what you need right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're going, you're breastfeeding, you're, you're going through a, a stressful time. You're, you know, you're exercising more, what, whatever. There's a change in the temperature. Maybe, you know, you know, we, we have all these cues that, that drive our metabolism. And so our, fortunately, you know, if you believe in God or whoever, somebody gave us an appetite and our appetite is like, you know, you need to eat. And, and again, it's getting in touch with what, what is an appetite. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's that carbohydrate 
I got to eat right now. Or I'm going to die. You know, when you when you're eating carbs, you know, you'd eat anything that's in front of you. You didn't care because mm. you're so hungry. You just give me a plate of cookies. I'll eat it. On an all meat diet, you're you know sometimes it's more subtle. It is like you said. I'm just I'm just getting tired. I'm not feeling as good. I'm run down. Yeah. Well, then you need to you need to you need to you know you need to put some more coal in the fire. And yeah. I think that's that's something that people have to kind of kind of figure out. And I think it's great to see. And this is echoed. I see it in in so many people tell me the same thing. And it's good to have you and I on the same page with that because I think it's just a a common thing. Is and as we can get this forward, more people will start to understand that and believe that. And hopefully as they try it, you know, for the people that want to try it again, I, I, you know, when people ask me who should try it, I'm like, if you're totally happy with your health and there's no issues, there's no reason for you to change what you're doing. But if you have medical issues, performance issues, mental issues, okay, try something else with your diet. I, I think you should switch it up anyway. <laughs> you you can always go I back. Also, yeah, I also don't trust the I'm fine, like I have no health symptoms because sometimes they sneak up really slowly and you don't consider them a health mm-hmm. symptom. Like, oh, I get really tired when I come home after work, you know, around 4 p.m., but it's because I've worked really hard. Like, no, that's 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 a sign that you're eating something wrong. Nobody works that hard. <laughs> you're not supposed to get you don't you don't have a dip, right? That's not a work thing. So I don't know. I I'm, but it's changed my life so much that I'm pretty forward about it. Well, I think it's yeah. Well, I, I obviously you know I'm a big proponent of this too. But again, at yeah, the same yeah. time, you know, there's there's and I hate to be the guy that kind of placates everybody and says everyone's a special snowflake and everyone's different. Everybody needs to be on a different diet. I don't believe that. I think I think a meat diet is for most humans is a good nutritious diet and most people do well. Yeah. With it. There's other people that can tolerate other things, but I mean when you when we talk about, and this is a thing that I, I think you don't understand until it happens, and when we talk about what is normal health, how are you supposed to feel every day? You know, most people relate, yeah, tired after work is normal. You know, having a few aches and pains yeah. when I'm 40 yeah. is normal. And I'm saying, no, it's not. You should be happy. Your mood should be elevated. You should have, you know, you should be feeling good. You should have good libido. You're, you're, you should want to move and exercise, and life should be in color, not black and white. And and I think that's, yeah. that's that, that that is, you know, beyond the routine existence because we're we're told you know here just just stick a cell phone in your hand you know have your have your little uh, smoothie drink and you know and, and just hide inside and, and that's become the normal for life and to me that's not that's not normal health but we are we are either becoming if you believe in conspiracy we're being driven that way and, and that's continue that's becoming the norm or you know people are just so used to seeing everybody around them and they just all they know is what's around them and and to me i'm like that's not true living. No, no, it's not. I went to my um, rheumatologist and told him I thought sugar was giving me arthritis. And he was like, oh, well, you probably just have psoriatic arthritis because it goes in and out of remission. And I was like, no, if I eat sugar, I get a flare-up. If I don't eat sugar, I don't get a flare-up. Like, it's not in and out of remission. But he couldn't hear me, right? Mm. And I'd like to be, like, angry at him. But then I can see he's got joint pain. You know, he's 30 pounds overweight. It's not like he's hiding something from me. He's suffering too. So it's like, I don't know. It's unfortunate. Well, I mean, the cool thing, you know, because I, you know, again, I was, I was part of the medical establishment for for decades, and you know, the cool thing now is, you know, we have different places to get our information, and, and you know, your blog page, my Meat Heals website, social media, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, is reaching, you know, and as yeah. people become more vocal and become more prominent, you know, th- this is where people get their information from. And I think the neat thing, the compelling thing about story, like your story, my story, Zach's stories, 
any of these people's stories is people will listen to that and they, they don't want to, they're not going to wait for some research paper to come out yeah. to tell them what to do. We've been, tr- we've tried that strategy for so long and it just hasn't worked. And so I think people are ready for, you know, let's try something different. Let's do our own experiment. And I, th- I just, I just see things changing. I think there's, you know, what I'm seeing is a lot more physicians adopting this, you know, just stepping outside the box and, and participating in the community and, and, and listening to their patients, listening to the community and not listening to what some pharmacy sponsored research paper often is, is being put in front of them. And so it's, it's, it's kind of interesting when you actually talk to people, talk to human beings, uh, you get a much different picture than what you read in the textbooks, which I think is, is, is really, really eye opening. Yeah, it's fantastic. Zach, anything else? So I think we, we, Michaela wants to get back to the beach. Yeah. I think I think she's ready to go. <laughs> yeah, we'll let her get back to it. It's uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on, Michaela, and obviously, uh, we'll we'll link um to your your website and blog and social media handles and stuff. Um, but yeah, if you ever want to come back on again and share more stories, you're more than welcome. Cool. Thanks for having me. It's been fun talking. Mikhail, what do you have coming up in the near future? I mean, other than hanging out on the beach till the end of the, till June, I mean, that's great. But I mean, do you have any other any things coming that we need to know about or we can tell people about? Um, I'm writing a book that will be out eventually, depending on how often I have to care for my needy baby. <laughs> um, I'm putting up a questionnaire on my website that I wrote a couple of years ago and I just haven't put up. So other than that... No, just check out my website and Instagram. I have a Facebook page too, but nothing other than that. Just hanging out in the sun. Awesome. Well, that, well you can't you can't <laughs> complain about that. Well, well, uh, we tell your family uh, good luck to them, and I hope they 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 continue to to enjoy good health with this. And then, I, is your little baby? Are you guys? Is she eating a little ribeye here and there? Is she is she going after that or? She is. She I give her bones all the time, and she eats some meat. Mostly breastfeeding, but meat too. Yeah, I'm going to be you, pretty careful with her because, well, it's pretty. Sure and and, 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 I, and I'm guessing I'm guessing you don't have to force that to to her. You know, I, I bet she. It's kind of interesting. You can look at little babies and they'll tell you what they're supposed to yeah, eat. Yeah, yeah. I tried um, at the very beginning. I tried giving her sweet potato. She's just like out of the mouth, in and out, in and out, in and out. Parsnip was in and out, and meat was like okay. That's in. I'm not spitting that out. And I shall spit it out once she's had enough to eat. But that take, it takes a while, right? But n- nothing else. So I'm just going to focus on that. I'm not accidentally poisoning my baby. Good for you. Good for you. That's awesome. It's good to see more people. All right, guys. Zach, anything else? I think that's it. Hey, folks. Thanks again for tuning in to the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Just a couple quick notes before you leave. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at hpopodcast at gmail.com. That's hpopodcast at gmail.com. We're both also on social media. On Twitter, you can find me at zbitter. That's at Z-B-I-T-T-E-R. And you can find Sean at sbakermd. That's at S-B-A-K-E-R-M-D. We're both also on Instagram where you can find me at Zach Bitter, that's at Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R. And for Sean, it's at Sean Baker, 1967. That's at S-H-A-W-N-B-A-K-E-R, 1967. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers Podcast.